Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Recovery Talk. First of all, Spotify Wrapped is out and for those of you who don't know, it's essentially Spotify shows you who your listeners are and what you've been listening to at the end of the year. And guess what? Recovery Talk, this podcast, is in the top 1% most shared podcast globally which essentially means that the listener to this podcast have a tendency of sharing the podcast or sharing episodes with you know their followers or with people via message or email or you know other forms of social media which is oh, I'm so grateful for that because that just to me shows that you guys appreciate the content enough to share it with someone else and think that hey this helped me maybe this could help a friend as well so Thank you for that and thank you for being such loyal listeners, you know. Recovery Talk was also in the top 5% of the most followed podcast globally. Uh, So thank you for all of you who are following the podcast as well. And my top countries where I have the most listeners is the United States. And second is Germany. And third is here in the UK. And those three to me was not that surprising. I always know that I have a lot of my audience in, you know, the US, Germany, and also here in the UK. But fourth and fifth was a bit more surprising. So the fourth most popular country for my podcast is the Netherlands. And the fifth is Finland. I knew that I had some Dutch followers, but I did not know that I had so many people listening and following me from Finland. I would make a guess that Scandinavian countries like Norway, Sweden and Denmark are probably similar to Finland. Finland probably had a close lead on those countries. But still, that was very interesting. I've actually been in Finland once. I ate samyaki, licorice chocolate every single day when I was there. It's so good. But yeah, anyways guys, wherever you are from, I appreciate you for being a listener and supporter of this podcast. And yeah. Now let's get into the topic of the day. Today I wanted to talk about something that I guess in some ways have been a theme throughout my entire podcast, but I wanted an episode dedicated more specifically to this as a concept, and that is exposure therapy and why I believe it's absolutely crucial in eating disorder recovery. And I would also argue that exposure therapy is crucial with so many other arenas in your life as well. If you are someone who struggles with anxiety, exposure therapy could be a very, very helpful approach to you. I would actually argue that you probably can't really recover from anxiety without some degree of exposure therapy. So first of all, what is exposure therapy? Exposure therapy, to really simplify it, it is exposing yourself through whatever it is you're anxious about repeatedly. For example, imagine someone who is anxious uh, about the anxious of spiders, right? (laughs) Me, (laughs) guilty as charged. (laughs) Then if they want to get rid of the spider anxiety, the key would be to gradually uh, expose themselves through two spiders uh, until they notice that they're less anxious for it. The thing with spider anxiety though is that most people can live a functional life while still being scared of spiders, right? Spiders, I mean, it's not something you're gonna face every day unless you work, I don't know, in a 
pet shop or something where you have to deal with spiders or selling spiders I don't know random example but most of the time you you can live a full life while still being scared of spiders right and that is why for example me I have never really bothered doing exposure therapy to get rid of my spider phobia just because uh, spiders I, I mean they come one in my house once every two months and then I panic a bit but I can handle it right but if my life was controlled by my spider phobia, or maybe if I, for example, had a travel plan that I was going to go in the jungle in Costa Rica where I knew there was going to be a lot of spiders, then it would probably have been a good idea to work on this anxiety. So with an eating disorder, I would argue that an eating disorder is very much an anxiety disorder in some ways, right? And you can maybe live a full life with a spider phobia. But you can't live a full life with an eating disorder. You can't live a full life where you are scared of, for example, eating, resting, or eating a specific way. We know that people with eating disorders aren't always just scared of food per se, but certain things around food they're scared of, right? Or scared of, you know, your body being where at its natural set point weight range, right? Scared of nourishing your body in the way it needs to be nourished. Scared of giving your body the necessary rest, right? These are essentials for life. So with an eating disorder, you're essentially scared of living, right? Because these things aren't, you can't live a full life when you are, you know, denying yourself these things or avoiding these basic components for life. And this is essentially what makes something a disorder, whether it's an eating disorder, an anxiety disorder. It is when it starts to negatively impact your mental or slash and physical health. So someone can be very scared of spiders, but still live a full life. But then there could be other people who are so scared of spiders that it prevents them from going outside or prevents them from, you know, doing the things they want, maybe going on that holiday that they wanted to go to, right? Then it's when you start thinking, hmm, this could be something worth investigating. And same goes with an eating disorder. It starts to really limit your life. And the scary thing about an eating disorder is that it can kind of conceal itself as a preference, right? This can also happen with certain other anxiety disorders. For example, social anxiety. Someone with social anxiety may start to con like to confuse the social anxiety with simply just a preference for being alone. And don't get me wrong, you can be someone who have a preference from, for being alone and also have social anxiety disorder, right? But equally, there is a difference there. Are you avoiding things because of your anxiety or because of a preference, right? And if you didn't have this anxiety, how would that shape your preferences? And I'm saying this because a lot of people that I talk to with eating disorders, they will kind of just convince themselves that it is many of the things that they're doing is more preference. For example, oh yeah, but I love the gym. I'm such a gym rat. I love the gym. And it's like, yeah, you can also enjoy the gym and have a disordered relationship to it. Because how do you feel if you, for example, couldn't go to the gym, right? then you see anxiety coming up and that's what it shows that hmm, maybe this isn't just simply a preference. Or same goes with something like hyper-focused on food and cooking, right? Yeah, there are people with that interest, but did this just so happen to start with your eating disorder? Were you like a hobby chef before your eating disorder? Again, it could be a way to confuse what is the eating disorder with what is your preference. But anyways guys, back to exposure therapy. So as I mentioned, exposure therapy is essentially repeatedly putting yourself in the situation that makes you anxious or exposing yourself to the trigger of your anxiety, doing that repeatedly and gradually until you notice that, oh, this isn't scary anymore. And notice the emphasis on 
action here, right? I think this is a little bit of a common uh, pitfall people do. They think that they can think themselves out of it. They think they can read themselves out of it, but actually you need to act yourself out of it. So for example, if you're scared of spiders, endlessly reading about how spiders are not really that dangerous, you know, or it, it's, yeah, you can do that. It may help ease a little bit, but it's not gonna solve your anxiety when you're actually there faced with the spider. And equally, I see a lot of people with eating disorders who will spend a lot of time, for example, reading articles or consuming content to ease their anxieties, but then there won't be that much actual action, right? So they will read about why there's nothing wrong with eating chocolate, right? But then will they go out and actually eat the chocolate? Hmm, not always. And I would actually argue that going out to eat the chocolate is far more impactful and far more important than reading about why it's okay to eat chocolate, right? Because reading about it is just endless reassurance, right? But actually doing it, that is putting yourself in that situation. So that is the first common pitfall that I see. Another very common pitfall I see with exposure therapy is people thinking that they are doing something wrong for feeling anxious in certain situations. For example, let's say chocolate example again, if you have a fear food for chocolate and you start really beating yourself up for feeling so anxious when you are eating that chocolate. And I know I spoke about this in the last episode where I spoke about guilt and I spoke about reframing guilt as actually a in some ways a positive emotion because it's an indicator that you're pushing, right? Same thing goes with anxiety. If you are in a situation and you're feeling anxious in that situation and you're doing it anyways, that actually shows that you're pushing and growing. So I always say, if you can't do it calm, do it scared. So many people will be so mean to themselves for feeling anxious about doing a challenge they think they're doing recovery wrong for feeling like this is something scary and oh my god this shouldn't feel this scary i'm not good at this what is going on it's completely okay to do it scared you know if you can't do it calm do it scared as i said so when exposing yourself to things that make you anxious don't be so mean at yourself mean with yourself for finding it difficult you know you're supposed to find it difficult and if you're not finding it difficult, maybe then it could be worth seeing, is this really something that challenges me? You know, maybe I should see, is there anything that I'm avoiding that maybe would challenge me more? This is another trap people can fall into where they will kind of rationalize and intellectualize what should be and what shouldn't be a challenge. For example, they may be, you know, telling themselves that, oh, chocolate should be a fear food, but actually it's not really a fear food for them, right? Or maybe chocolate in itself, it's not, the fear is not the chocolate. The fear is, for example, eating the chocolate in a certain context, a situation, right? Or maybe eating a kind of chocolate, you know, maybe that specific dark organic chocolate was a safe food, but that milk chocolate was more scary, right? So use your anxiety as a guide towards seeing what is it you need to challenge here. Don't trick yourself by being like, oh, I'm gonna do a fear food challenge. And then you notice that, hey, this was not really that scary, right? Again, you're kind of just tricking yourself and maybe your treatment team, if you're like, I'm gonna challenge my fear for chocolate. And then you go for the safest chocolate you can find but you're gonna suffer the consequences of that, right? So see your anxiety in this context as almost like a guidepost 
guiding you towards the situations where you need to keep pushing and challenging and you are not doing anything wrong for feeling anxious in those situations. Anxiety is such a strange concept because essentially what is going on when someone is anxious, whether that is for a chocolate bar or going out in a crowd, is that the brain has wrongly detected that you're in danger and it's trying to protect you. So from an evolutionary point of view, this is not necessarily something bad. If anything, it's something that helped us as humankind to survive. Think back thousands of years ago, you know, us living in caves and you know it would make sense if a giant bear just jumped up it would make sense that we felt anxiety and fear tells us hey you need to get out of here right now and that's the thing with anxiety right it tends to trigger either fight flee or freeze so imagine with the bear right either fighting the bear running away from the bear or just freezing and hoping the bear don't don't harm you just freezing completely maybe the bear will ignore you right so let's give our brain some slack it is something that's helped keep us alive throughout the years the problem of course now is in our modern world where we don't have these same threats with bears roaming around i mean depending on where you live uh, this in instinct has sometimes been wrongly applied to things that aren't dangerous at all so essentially think of anxiety as your brain wrongly detecting danger where there is none and voila you have an anxiety disorder even an eating disorder which is in some ways like an anxiety disorder so now you may get that same, you know, danger response by going out to a restaurant, for example. And what is very interesting with anxiety is that we often think that it is about the object itself. For example, if someone is scared of crowds, we think that it is just about the crowds or someone is scared of chocolate. It's just about the chocolate, right? But often it is also a fear of the anxiety itself. It's fear that you will panic and won't be able to handle your emotions, right? So very often when I work with people with eating disorders, if, they're, if we're discussing a challenge that they're going to do, they often feel so anxious that they won't handle it, right? But here's the thing. Worst case scenario, if you don't, hand, if you don't handle it, you panic, you freak out. I mean, that's okay. It's not the end of the world. You can handle difficult emotions. If something goes wrong in a challenge, you can learn from it. Because I think this is something we often do. We put anxiety as this big bad wolf that can harm us. When actually it's, it's just an emotion, right? It is just an emotion. Emotion can't harm you in itself. Only thing that can harm you is the actions that you may do because of these emotions. But you can control your actions. Can't maybe control your feelings, but you can control your action. Eating disorder recovery is in many ways a prolonged period of exposure therapy, right? And that's why it works so well. Of course, if you're actually doing recovery, not just quasi-recovery or maintaining an eating disorder, right? There's a bit of a difference there, right? So you start recovery, your brain is coming with all sorts of conspiracies about what will happen and you listen to it, go blah, 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 blah. Your brain bullies you, try to avoid you from doing the thing, right? But then with time, you are doing the opposite of what your brain is telling you. And then you're gathering evidence that your anxiety or your eating disorder was wrong. So your eating disorder telling you, oh, you will just gain into infinity and beyond. It's never going to stop. Extreme hunger is permanent for you. You'll ne never be able to fully recover, blah, blah, blah. 
with enough time and commitment of doing the opposite actions of what your brain is telling you, you're going to have evidence that supports recovery, right? You're going to see that, hmm, my extreme hunger did end. Hmm, my weight gain did settle in a range that was, you know, what my body wanted it to settle in. And hmm, I feel more free with food now. Turns out this recovery thing is actually not too bad. Of course, the issue in recovery sometimes is, be- is that in early recovery, sometimes your eating disorder kind of just confirms all its worst anxieties, right? For example, you may experience that extreme hunger that feels like it never ends. You may experience that your weight gain goes quicker than you're comfortable with, especially in early recovery. You know, you a lot of the fears come true, but what is important here is to be aware that these things will end, right? And very often the problem with the anxiety is the anxiety will tell you that it won't end, right? That is what the anxiety is scared for it's like yeah this is how it is now you have extreme hunger now but it's never going to end right and that is where your anxiety is wrong and the problem there is that people will panic and then they will engage in so-called safety behaviors or compensatory behaviors that ease their anxiety in the moment but make it a lot worse long term so for example someone going through extreme hunger they may panic and restrict the next day right because that next day gives them some peace and gives them some kind of relief the problem, of course, is that restriction worsens extreme hunger, so then they get more of it, right? And then they feel like their anxiety is reinforced. Instead, it's important here to accept the process and trust the process. And do you know what? You don't even need to fully trust the process to do it, right? Chances are you're going to have doubts about the process. I see this all the time when I work with clients. They are, you know, they're committed, but there's always a part of them that kind of doubts a bit, like, is this actually going to work for me? Am I going to be the unicorn? And this goes back to what I said. If you can't do it calm, do it scared. Because you don't need to 100% trust the process to get started. You start trusting the process by doing and then looking back. So yeah, this is another, you know, I speak about pitfalls. There's another pitfall people fall into a lot is where they think that they need to be fully ready, they need to fully trust and know that this is gonna work for them in order to start, because that's not really how it is. That's not really how it is. If you can't do it sure, then do it doubtful. That's fine as well, as long as you're committing to the cause. And then the sureness will get stronger with time. The doubt will decrease as you are creating new experiences that proves your eating disorder wrong and proves recovery right. But the only way to do this is by actually putting yourself in the situation, not thinking about putting yourself in the situation, not talking about putting yourself in the situation, but actually doing it and doing it repeatedly. And this is another pitfall that I see over and over and that is people only putting themselves in the challenging situation once and then kind of ticking it off the list and thinking, oh, I'm done now. So for example, again, I'm using this chocolate fear food as a good example. Um, if someone has a fear food for chocolate, they challenge it once and then they tick it off the list. Oh, I challenge that now, I'm done. No, 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 no. If you're still feeling anxious around it, you still need to do it. You need to do it until it no longer scares you. And of course, when it no longer scares you, doesn't mean that, no, I can't eat chocolate anymore because it's not scary anymore. (laughs) That's not how it works. You can still eat chocolate. But with exposure therapy, you've got to do the thing that scares you over and over and over until it no longer scares you. And I see this a lot with, you know, fear food challenges, right? Especially like in the online recovery community when people would be challenging fear foods and post about it and stuff. And I think that is wonderful, you know, uh, challenging your fear food, sharing your wins, this is all good and great. But also be mindful that you need to do this repeatedly, not just a one-off for it to actually have its full effect. 
again think about it with spider phobia right <laughs> seeing one spider one time being close to a spider one time it's not going to take away a lifetime of spider phobia right it's all about the repeated exposure I may have told this story before, but <laughs> I actually had this exact situation in my house. So I'm terrified of spiders. I'm, I'm just gonna put it out there. I'm absolutely terrified of spiders, right? And I'm so terrified of spiders that I'm scared of killing them. Like, I just don't want anything to do with them at all. And then, this was a few months ago, a spider had decided to move into my kitchen rent-free and I was way too scared to take it out, right? And I tried to have, you know, my friend when they would come over to have them take it out, but whenever they would try and take it, it would like go and hide into its little hole, right? <laughs> so many missed attempts at taking the spider out and I was too scared of doing anything so what essentially happened is that the spider was just rent-free living in my kitchen for quite some time. The first time I saw this spider I remember I froze, I started shaking, I didn't go into my kitchen, I was panicking but then as I think it must have been probably like, yeah like a month or something the spider just had just been there and I had just kind of seen it every day in its little corner peeking out I somehow noticed how much calmer I became around that spider, right? I was, you know, using my kitchen as normal, keeping, of course, an eye on the spider. But the act of constantly being exposed to the spider several times a day, it calmed down my fear towards it, right? So first day I saw it, freeze, feel sick, just shaking. And now I could see it and I'm like, I mean, I don't love spiders, but I could see it and be like, oh, okay, well, uh, whatever. So basically what happened is that my brain got gradually desensitized to the spider from repeated exposure. My brain was thinking, well, we've seen the spider over and over again and nothing awful has happened. So I guess this isn't as threatening as we thought it was. I can turn down the danger signals a little bit now. This doesn't mean that I liked the spider or was feeling fully comfortable with it being there but I was tolerating it. My anxiety had gone from a 10 out of 10 to maybe like a six out of 10. And then this spider friggin' mutated and suddenly got super long legs. I'm not joking. One day it had very, very, very long legs for no reason. I have no idea what happened. And then at that point, normally I would have probably just moved out of the house and burned my house down, right? But at this point, because I've been gradually desensitized, I was so brave that I took like, like, a, like a mop and I and I killed the spider. I felt really bad, but I had to kill it because the legs had gone too long. But I would never have dared killing a spider a month a month ago before that, right? So yeah, that was the little dramatic story about how I got gradually desensitized to a spider and then aggressively killed it because the legs mutated and become so long. I'm not joking. I even have photo evidence of this, if anyone don't believe me. The legs were suddenly like three times the length. So. From one thing to another, the good thing about eating disorders is that, you know, I mentioned with the spider, I'm never probably going to like spiders. Probably not going to happen. I can tolerate them. But with eating disorders and with food, you may come to a point not just where you tolerate, you know, a fear of food, you may come to a point where you love it. And also, interestingly enough, what tends to happen is that the, the, feed, the foods people fear is actually the foods that they love the most. And very often the fact that they love a food so much is why they're anxious about it. 
I was terrified of chocolate because chocolate is one of my favorite foods and I was scared that oh if I let myself eat it I would somehow lose control and I'll be addicted to chocolate blah 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 and I mean yeah I, I do like chocolate I eat a lot of chocolate and that's completely fine and now it's not just that I tolerate eating chocolate it's that I actually really enjoy it so I think this is such an interesting thing with eating disorders right is that someone can be terrified of something and super excited about something at the same time and fear and excitement is actually a very similar physical response in the body so maybe next time you're challenging your fear food you know try and you know dive into the excitement and think oh i'm just super excited about this right i know it doesn't always work but it can be an interesting one to think about i'm not scared of this chocolate i'm just so excited but yeah, fear and excitement can also exist at the same time and an eating disorder recovery it often does. So I'm not scared of spiders because I secretly absolutely love spiders. Not at all, I absolutely hate them. But in eating disorder recovery, when I was in eating disorder recovery, I was scared of the things I love. And doesn't this give even a better reason to work on it, right? Imagine spending your life fearing the things you love, fearing, you know, going out to eat with friends, fearing you know having some birthday cake right life is just so short way too short to spend fearing the things you love right so to summarize gradual and consistent exposure to what scares you it is going to calm down your anxiety and yes i say it is going to calm down your anxiety and i usually don't make promises but it is because it's just how our brains work. If, the, if you are repeatedly exposing yourself to something that scares you over and over consistently, then your brain's danger signals is gonna calm down. It is just a biological fact. It's just how our brains work. And remember, our brains are neuroplastic, right? Our brains are always changing. Our brains are creating new pathways, right? So by new experiences and showing your brain new experiences is creating different links. So that link that I made between eating the chocolate and absolute panic and dread, it is gonna weaken. Trust the process. And even if you don't, why not even, why not just try the process? You don't even need to completely trust it. It can be like, oh, I don't even know if this works, but I'm gonna try, I'm gonna find out. I'm gonna try exposing myself to these things I fear. I don't know if I fully believe it's gonna work, but may as well try, because I tried the opposite, didn't take me to where I want to be. Think of it as an experiment, you know, and stay committed to the experiments. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode on a topic that I really, really enjoy, which is, you know, exposure therapy and the importance of it. I think it's one of the most important things in eating disorder recovery. I think it's sometimes a little bit neglected in the treatment field. Now, so many people saying that they enter treatment for an eating disorder and all that happened was they were talking about their childhood and blah, 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 blah. Not saying that is useless, that can be very helpful sometimes, but there was too little focus on actually doing, you know, practically doing. And there will be endless conversation about why they're so scared of that chocolate, but not enough focus on, hey, you need to go out there and eat that chocolate. And at the end of the day, doing is gonna outweigh thinking about doing every single time. Okay, now I'm gonna take a listener question. This one is from Instagram. And to recap a bit what this person is asking, they're asking, what do you do when the people around you are reinforcing the unicorn syndrome? When the people around you are kind of fearing the same things the eating disorder fears? What do you do when the people around you don't understand that, you know, you need to eat, you need to repair the damage, etc., etc.? And I think this is such a good 
question and topic that I think I may actually go more in depth about it in a future episode where I talk about, you know, dealing with unhelpful people in eating disorder recovery and people doubting the process or people being triggering, etc., etc. But I wanted to just quickly touch upon it now before. So very often what happens if you have someone in your life, it could be a parent, a friend, or even a treatment professional who's just kind of reinforcing the eating disorder fear the same thing the eating disorder fears is not validating your needs in recovery and will say things such as oh you're at this bmi you should be fine now you don't need to gain more weight or oh you shouldn't eat so much extreme hunger is not real it is but yeah just examples so what i often see in this situation is that the person on the receiving end of this so the recoverer will then kind of double down by trying to convince the other person why they're wrong And don't get me wrong, in some cases, this can be helpful. For example, imagine you have a psychiatrist who's never heard of extreme hunger. You can be like, hey, do you know that this is a thing? And maybe show an article or two, right? In some cases, it can work. But in many cases, it can instead just create this like endless conflict and this endless, what can I say, debate that just ends up triggering you more than ever. Because the truth is, a lot of times, if people feel like they're being challenged, they're going to kind of just double down with their own position, right? So if you are in this situation, instead of thinking and feeling like it is your job to convince everyone around you that this is the right way, this is how you need to do it this way, right? Instead of trying to convince the people around you that this is what it is, how about instead setting boundaries with the people around you and thinking to yourself that, hey, it doesn't even matter if the people around me understand or agree what I'm doing. I just know that it works for me and that's enough. I think very often if we're too focused on what other people are thinking, it is because there is a part of us that doubted ourselves, right? And as I spoke about in in this episode, it is very normal to have doubts in recovery, have doubts that this is the right way, this is true, that I'm not the unicorn, right? And then we can take this and project it onto other people, or we don't maybe don't even project it onto other people. Maybe other people have those beliefs, right? But equally, why would they understand? Why would someone who's never been through an eating disorder or have very little knowledge about an eating disorder know what reactive hunger is? Especially when we live in a culture that is demonizing these things, demonizing quote unquote binge eating. Why would that person know? Why would, how, how come that person, how can we expect them to know and understand? Other people are products of the society we live in as well, right? So actually, maybe you don't need to convince the people around you. Maybe you can instead just say, hey, you know, you're allowed your opinion. You're allowed your doubts about what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, but I'm going to do it my way. And I have to set a boundary here that I don't want to hear you, you know, blah, 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 don't eat this, don't eat that, don't gain too much weight, I don't want to hear it. And then make sure to actually reinforce the boundary that if someone is still doing it, you there is a consequence of that, right? So for example, if someone is going on about, oh, don't eat too much, you can say, you know what, if you keep going on about this, I'm going to remove myself from the situation. I'm going to maybe leave the room, or if you're having a conversation over chat, you can say, I'm going to end the conversation here, right? Again, protect your space do what you know works for you other people don't really need to understand it right there's so many things i don't understand about other people and what they're doing that doesn't mean that their experiences that what they're doing is not valid there's so many things that i don't understand that doesn't mean that i can't respect it some people may have a spiritual revelation and become a monk or a nun 
I don't understand it. I don't understand exactly how that is. I haven't experienced it myself, but that doesn't make their experience not valid. Me having concerns about them doing that doesn't really change their reality. If anything, it's none of my business, right? So as a, I guess, short summary, instead of thinking that it is your job to endlessly educate and convince everything and everyone around you, instead, the only person you really need to convince is yourself. And even yourself, you don't need to fully convince. You just need to do, and then you will be convinced with time. I work with clients who, for example, have said to their practitioners, I'm going to follow extreme hunger, or I'm going to actually let my body reach the set point weight that instead of like this arbitrary random goal weight you gave me. And their practitioners have been, you know, honestly just reinforcing the eating disorder. Being like, oh, be careful. You don't want to get binge eating disorder. Oh, you don't want to gain too much weight. Yeah, the practitioners have said that. But then afterwards, the practitioners have seen that they were wrong. The eating disorder was wrong. And then they've been like, oh, interesting. And that is, of course, a nice, fun, added benefit. But... It is not the purpose. You're not here to convince anyone of anything. You're here living your life, focusing on your health and your recovery. And that is all that matters. What other people are thinking doesn't matter because they're not the ones living your life and they're not the ones suffering the consequences of spending the life, rest of your life stuck in an eating disorder. That's going to be you suffering the consequences of. Okay, I hope that answered it. And I would love to know if you guys think it could be interesting to have an episode on this in the future about you know dealing with unhelpful people I have spoken about dealing with triggers and dealing with you know other people before but I thought it could be a bit more of a episode diving a bit more into it especially this like what to do when other people including your treatment professionals have doubts about the way that you are letting go of your eating disorder and it's kind of reinforcing having the eating disorder stay with you right so for example having doubts and judgments about giving into extreme hunger or letting your body find its natural set point weight range instead of quote-unquote maintaining a, a goal weight that is too low for your body anyways guys I hope you have a lovely week ahead and I look forward to seeing you guys next week.